Welcome to church again. This morning we're continuing our series on the names of God. Over the past four weeks, we've been seeking to answer one simple question. And that question is, who is God and what is he like? And today we've come to the fourth name of God that we are going to be studying, and that is El Olam. And this name of God is found in Genesis 21. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, open them up to Genesis 21. And we're going to be starting from verse 25 this morning. Now, Abraham in the Bible is the pioneer for the life of faith. If you want to learn about what it means to have a relationship with God and to really walk by faith, then you need to study the life of Abraham. And what you will learn is that as you walk by faith and respond in obedience to God, you learn more about God. You see, each time Abraham responded in obedient faith to the Lord, a new name of God was revealed to him. In other words, more of his character was revealed to him. You see, we are not just meant to live at a static level with God, but like any relationship, our relationship with God is supposed to deepen and mature over time. You know, I've been married for my, with, uh, to my wife Tegan now for 26 years. And when we first started dating, uh, like most people, we didn't really like let each other in on who we really were. And so I would ask Tegan, you know, what movie do you want to watch? And she would turn to me and she would say, any movie you want to watch. I would say, what, where do you want to go to eat? Anywhere that you want to go to eat. And so consequently, uh, when we were dating, we watched a lot of like action movies and we, and we ate a lot of McDonald's. But now, as I said, I've been married to Tegan 26 years and I can't remember the last action movie that I've watched. You see, this is what happens over time. As the masks come off and you be real with one another, you learn what you're really like. You learn who you really are. And this is how it's supposed to be in our relationship with God. We're not meant to have this one-time experience with God right at the very beginning, and then that's it. No, we're supposed to learn to trust God more and more with our lives as we walk with Him. And what you'll find in your journey of faith is that this is what it is like. And at the beginning of Abraham's faith journey in Genesis 12, we read how God asked Abraham to risk it all and to leave the comfort of his father's house and go to a land that God would show him. And so Abraham went out not knowing where he was going, and he found that God was faithful and could be trusted. But as you will often find in your journey of faith, it's not all smooth sailing. There will be storms. You don't go from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop without passing through a valley. No trials will come your way. You know, I recently read a book by Warren Wearsby about ministry. And in that book, he was speaking about how you know it's time to move on from one ministry position to another. Uh, how you know if you're a pastor whether God is calling you to move to another church. And he used this example of a friend of his who had been at a church for 10 years, and he was really having a tough time. Now, the fact that this bloke had been at his church for 10 years, you know, really got my attention because I've now been at the church City Reach for 10 years. And as I said, he was having a really tough time, and he asked God if he should move on, but the Lord was silent, and there were no other doors opening. And so he stayed the course. And even though his 10th year was a really hard year, as he came into his 11th year, he entered into a time of fruitfulness, the most fruitful time in his ministry. And Warren Wearsby writes this, God wanted my friend to move, but it was a move up in maturity 
not out to another ministry. And in Genesis 14, we read that Abraham goes through a similar period of difficulty. Abraham's nephew Lot is taken captive by an alliance of kings. And Abraham has to pursue him and rescue him. You know, it won't be long in your journey of faith before you come across a trial or a difficulty that will test your faith. This is what happened to Abraham. It was a test of his faith. But behind every trial, behind every difficulty, is an opportunity to learn more about God. And after Abraham saved Lot and tied the spoils of his campaign to Melchizedek, this mysterious figure in Genesis 14, he learned that God was El Elyon, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. He would not have learned that. If he hadn't had to battle these kings, he wouldn't learn that God is the most high God, that he's over kings and nations and men. Well, then time passes and Abraham and Sarah are barren and there is still no child of promise. So Abraham complains to God in Genesis 15 that Eliezer of Damascus will have to be his heir. And at that point, he learns that God is Elohim Adonai which means God, my master. He learned that he had to submit to the will of God for his life. And God took him outside and showed him the stars in the heavens and made this everlasting covenant with him that his descendants would be more numerous than the stars of the heavens and that an heir would come from his own body. But then as we studied last week, as we came into Genesis 16, 10 years had passed And still there was no child. Ten years had passed and still no child of promise. And so what do Abraham and Sarah do? They take matters into their own hands. Uh, Abraham has a child with Sarah's uh, maidservant, Hagar. But Abraham and Sarah found out what you always find out. If you try to do God's will, man's way, it will always lead to disaster. If you're not patient and wait upon God to fulfill his purposes in his own time, you'll always get Ishmael's. You won't get Isaac's. But God is so gracious. And in Genesis 17, at the ripe old age of 99, God comes to Abraham again and he reveals that he is El Shaddai, God Almighty. And Abraham falls down before God in worship. And God recommissions him and says to Abraham, walk blamelessly before me. You know, you might be an older person listening to me this morning. And as an older person, it's so easy to think that you've seen it all and done it all. And there's nothing more that God can teach you. But if the age of 99, God can come to Abraham and reveal that he is El Shaddai, God Almighty, and recommission him to walk before him blamelessly, then he can do the same with you. Well, now this morning, as we come into Genesis 21, as we come into this chapter this morning, the child of promise has been born to Abraham and Sarah. It's a miracle Abraham is 100 years old. Sarah's 90 years old. They've been on this journey of faith for 25 years. And finally, God has worked a miracle and the child of promise has been born to them in their old age. And it's at this point that Abraham learns another name for God. Or to put it another way, it is at this point 
that Abraham calls out in faith to God by another name, Elolam. Now, this happens at the desert oasis called Bathsheba. The only water at Bathsheba was this well that Abraham had dug. It was the last well a traveler would pass before entering the desert uh, of of the Sinai Peninsula, making Bathsheba a real strategic location. It was hot property. You know, in the ancient world, water was a very precious commodity. You know, for us in Adelaide, we, we, don't, we don't see water as being all that precious, you know. We ha- just have such ready access to water. You can just go anytime you want, and, you know, you can run a bath. You can go and, you know, get a glass of water. We have so much access to water that we actually now, we... Some, for some of us, tap water is not enough. We have to go and buy water, which would be crazy for um, anyone from another culture. You, you have water on tap and you want to go and buy a bottle of water? How crazy is that? Well, for people in the ancient world, you know, water was a precious commodity and wells, therefore, were hotly contested. And in our passage this morning, we read that this well that Abraham had dug had been taken violently from Abraham by the servants of Abimelech, a tribal chieftain of the Philistines. And so Abraham, look down in your Bibles in verse 25, he reproves Abimelech, which means he confronts Abimelech. And Abimelech says in verse 26, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me and I have not heard of it until today. In other words, I don't know what's happening here. And so Abraham, in verse 27, took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a covenant. And Abraham, verse 28, set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? And Abraham answered in verse 20, these seven ewe lambs that you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, the place was called Bathsheba because there both of them swore an oath. Bathsheba in Hebrew just simply means well of oath. Look down in verse 32. So they made a covenant at Bathsheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Look down in verse 33. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Bathsheba and called there on the name of Yahweh el Olam. Now, as we read this story in Genesis 21, to be honest, it doesn't seem all that remarkable. <laughs> it seems pretty mundane stuff. Maybe as I was reading it out this morning, you were falling asleep in your armchair. Well, wake up, wake up, nudge the person next to you, tell them to wake up. It doesn't seem all that remarkable. It just seems just mundane stuff. I mean, Ah, Abimelech's servants have seized Abraham's well, and so Abraham makes a covenant with Abimelech. Yet why there does Abraham plant this tamarisk tree and call on the name of the Lord El Olam? You know, every time, as we've seen in Abraham's story, when um, Abraham has either called on God by a new name or had a new name of God revealed to him, it's been like a really significant spiritual moment in his life. It's been a significant moment. It's been a, a landmark moment. This seems pretty mundane right here. What, what is this all about? Well, let's first examine for a moment the name El Olam. The name Elolam is a cognate name for God. That means there are two names that come together. The prefix El comes from the Hebrew word Elohim, 
the name for God. And the word alarm in Hebrew means God of time or eternity. So when you put these things together, this means the God of the ages, the God who is over time, the God of eternity. It speaks of the eternal nature of God. As Elmer Town says in his book, My Father's Names, with a tiny change in vowel signs in Hebrew, the ancient Hebrews rabbis spelt it alarm, which means hidden, underscoring the mysterious nature of God, God's everlasting or timeless nature without beginning or end is one of the most profound mysteries of his nature. You know, the eternality of God is very hard for our finite minds to comprehend. On one hand, on one hand, uh, you know, the Bible says that eternity has been written on the hearts of men. So we all look out and we know that there must be more than this. You know, um, in my own story, it was considering the brevity of life that actually led me to Jesus. I was 18. I hadn't got into music, the degree that I wanted to get into. I got into early childhood teaching. And so I was really depressed that first year of uni in Brisbane. And as I thought about my life and as I thought about what life is all about, it seemed pretty futile to me that is life just about, you know, going to work so you can get the money, so you can buy the bread, so you can get the strength to go to work, to get the money, to buy the bread, to get the strength. It just seemed like a hamster wheel. You do that for 80 years and then you die? That seems very, very futile. And it was, that, it was that that actually led me to consider Jesus and how he is the meaning of life. But even though eternity is written in our hearts and we know that there must be more than this, it is hard for our finite minds to comprehend what eternity is like. I mean, I know we sing that song, that great song, Amazing Grace. And there's this verse in that great song, Amazing Grace, that goes like this. When we've been there, do you know it? 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. Now, you know, we sing that out boldly, but have you ever considered those words before? When we've been there, 10,000 years, that's a long time, Bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing his praise than when we first began. Eternity will go on and on and on for affinity. This is hard for our finite minds to comprehend because everything in our world has a beginning and an ending. People are born, people live, and people die. So to contemplate the eternality of God is just... It's just hard for our minds to grasp. I don't know if your kids have ever asked you this theological question. Dad, you say that God made everything, right? Well, I have a question for you. Who made God? <laughs> if God made everything, if he's the first cause, then who made him? Well, the reality is, is that God is El Olam. He is God, the everlasting one. He is eternal, uncreated. He had no beginning. He will have no ending. As Moses writes in Psalm 90 verse 2, before the mountains were ever brought forth, you were God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I want to teach you a couple words, theological words about God this morning that are really important, that's the words 
transcendent and the word imminent. The, the transcendence of God, that refers to the fact that God in his majesty, he transcends human limits and human boundaries. He is beyond time and matter and space. And there is this sense that God in his transcendence is so majestic in his transcendence. As Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he says, God dwells in unapproachable light. And there is this sense that God so is transcendent, so much in majesty that we will never approach the transcendent God in that way. But then God is also imminent, which means he is present. He comes and his presence comes and he dwells with us. He's present in creation. The eternality of God is part of God's transcendent majesty, that God stands outside of time. He sees all of the past. He sees all of the present. He sees all of the future. Remember a few weeks ago, we learned the personal name for God is the Tetragrammatron, Yahweh, which means I am. God is. He exists in both the past, the present, and the future all at one time. I mean, this should be a cause for great worship to get down on our faces before the God who is so much bigger, so much larger than what our minds can comprehend. He is El Olam. He is God everlasting, the Lord of time, the King of the ages. This is our God. But also the fact that God is El Olam, God everlasting, it's not just an important theological truth that should actually promote great worship in us. But it's also a vital truth for the journey of faith. And it was absolutely vital for Abraham's faith. You see, this event at Bathsheba is not as mundane as what it first appears. You see, there are three things that God had promised Abraham. He promised him land. He promised him a seed or descendants. And he promised to bless him. That he would make him into a, uh, into a great nation. And Abraham could already see two of those promises coming to fruition. With the birth of Isaac, he could already see that, that, uh, the descendants' promise becoming, coming into fruition. And God was blessing Abraham so much so that Abimelech and, and, and Phicol, the commander of Abimelech's armies, they come and they bow down before uh, Abraham and say, God is with you in all that you do. But that third promise... The promise of the land was not yet being fulfilled. Abraham was a sojourner, which means that he was just a temporary resident in the land. Now, if you just turn back in your Bibles or you watch up on the screen, interestingly enough, from our passage last week in Genesis 17 and verse 7, the Lord promised Abraham, look at this, he said, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you through their generations. Notice this. For an everlasting covenant. Olam, barit. An everlasting covenant in Hebrew. Verse 8. Verse eight, and I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. All the land of Canaan for a what? Once again. An olam possession. An everlasting possession. So this was not just a mundane event for Abraham. When Abraham dug that well, 
and he possessed Bathsheba, it was an act of faith in the eternal promise of God. God had promised the land as an eternal covenant, and so calling on Yahweh El Olam, the everlasting God, Abraham was expressing his faith in a God who had made him an everlasting covenant. Abraham had enough faith to believe that this well at Bathsheba was a down payment on a future kingdom that God was going to give him. Bruce Watke, in his commentary on Genesis, he notes that the planting of the tamarisk tree would serve as a landmark of God's grace, a pledge that Abraham and his descendants would stay in the land. Every time they would see that tamarisk tree, they would be reminded of God's eternal covenant to give them the land. You see, there are two reasons why, two reasons why God's eternal nature is absolutely vital for your faith and my faith. The first reason is that it helps us wait patiently for God to fulfill his promises. You see, there is often a lag time between when God promises something and when you see it fulfilled. For Abraham, there was 25 years of waiting between when God had promised to give him the child to when he received it. For the land promise, I mean, Abraham finished his life not ever possessing the land of Canaan, only having a small burial plot for Sarah. And it would be many generations later when Joshua would come in and possess the land. And still today, I believe that that land promise will be fulfilled in the millennial kingdom and the kingdom reign of Christ on the earth. So this promise has yet to be fulfilled, but it helps to wait patiently for God until he can fulfill his promises. You know, El Olam the everlasting God. He knows everything that's going to happen. He knew that the bushfires would rage Australia this year. He knew that there would be a global pandemic around the world. He knew that um, there would be all these demonstrations and riots that we've seen recently and all this unrest. He knew all of that was going to occur because he is El Olam. He is the everlasting God. And this helps us to trust him and not become anxious or worried, but trust that he has our future in his hands. You know, on Friday, when I heard um, the news from the premier that, uh, you know, the restrictions were going to be lifted on the 29th, to be be honest, I was a little bit depressed at at, at first uh, because, you know, there's going to still be social distancing in place and all of that sort of stuff. And I was a little bit depressed at first. I I was hoping that they were going to lift it like they've done in New Zealand where all the restrictions have been lifted. And I am worried. I'm worried for you. I'm worried for the church. I'm worried because I know that without fellowship and without the regular rhythms of, of worship and gathering together, it's easy to fall away from the living God. So I was worried for you. But then I got down on my knees and I remembered El Olam. He is the everlasting God. This is not a surprise to him. He sees all. He knows what's going to happen. And for some of you, you've lost your job. For some of you, you have family overseas and the virus is, even though we're so blessed in Australia overseas, the virus is still raging and claiming people's lives and you're worried for your family. I understand that. But he is El Olam. He is the God who sees the future. He has it in his hands. He knows what the future, he knows what the future is going to come about. So we can trust him. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious. We can entrust in faith that our God is the everlasting God and he holds the future in his hands. 
But secondly, it helps us not only to wait patiently for God to fulfill his promise, it also helps us to be active in faith while we wait. You see, Abraham wasn't passive. He dug a well. He claimed that well as the down payment on the kingdom that was going to come. And when that well was taken by Abimelech, he went and confronted Abimelech. He was active in faith. You see, God doesn't want us to sit back passively. He wants us to claim his promises actively. And maybe today, you should claim his promises and lay a hold of his promises in faith, trust in his promises, and call on the name of the Lord, El Olam, the everlasting God. You know, it is amazing when you look back how God answers prayer. This last week, I was in Pastor Ollie's office uh, because my office is being renovated, and I looked up on Pastor Ollie's wall, and there was this picture. Uh, have I got it there? It has like um, four big prayers that we were praying for in 2017. We're praying that God would continue to change lives through the Alpha Course. We're praying that God would continue to work through our new youth pastor, Ollie, and that the next generation would be fired up for God, that God would provide a pastor to serve our people in real life groups and newcomers, and that people would, in the South would come to know God through the ministry of City Reach South or City Reach Marion that had yet to be planted. You know, look back to 2017 and realize that God has answered every single one of those prayers. You know, we are so impatient. We pray and we expect God to answer just like that. We, we pray and we ask God to just move and we expect that he will, in the next five minutes, do what we've asked him. But God is El Olam. He is God eternal and he often has a different program than we have. I mean, Abraham could not see that this God who had made these promises to him, that that seed that he was promised in Genesis 12 ultimately would be the Lord Jesus. And that the blessing that would come to all the nations on the earth would be the blessing of receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior and his gospel and entering into his eternal kingdom. And Abraham had no way of, of knowing that eventually he wouldn't just be the father of the nation of Israel, but he would be called the father of faith to all who believe. You see, God often has bigger purposes for you and for me that we can't see. And yes, he does keep them a secret often. Often he keeps them in secret. And, uh, but you know, you often keep secrets from your kids too, <laughs> for their benefit. You know, um, before... Um, before Christmas, you don't, when they ask you, what's my Christmas present? You won't tell them because you want them to have the surprise of opening it on Christmas morning and seeing what you have for them. And in the same way, God, this mysterious God who knows the future and holds the future in his hand, the secret things, it says in the Bible, belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and to our generations, to, to, to God's people. And so we have to trust this God El Olam, the everlasting God. So I wonder this morning as we come to the end of our message, I wonder this morning, where's your walk with God? You know, it's not supposed to be static. You're supposed to continue to learn more about God as you walk with him and walk with him and walk with him. I wonder whether today he's wanting to reveal that he is the everlasting God, 
that you mightn't understand it right now, but he has your future in his hands and he therefore can be trusted. Will you call on him this morning and put your faith in him and trust him and wait patiently for him and be active in faith for him to fulfill his purposes? Well, let me pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the character of God that we've seen revealed today, that God is El Olam, God, the everlasting one. We worship him, we honor him this morning. We reverence his name. Lord, we don't understand why things happen the way that they do. And we, don't, we, we can't see the future, but we know that El Olam, God everlasting, has our future in his hands. And just as he made a covenant to Abraham, he has made promises to us. And therefore, we can rest in those promises. We thank you for this in Jesus' powerful name. You know, one of the amazing things that Paul says in 1 Timothy is he says, concerning Jesus, he says, to the king of of the ages, God, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. You know, that word age there is the same word in Hebrew, alam, the king of the ages. Jesus is God eternal. He is the king of the ages. He is the alpha and the omega. And even though he transcended time and space, he came and was incarnate and was born, as a vir- born to a virgin, born as a baby. And he grew up and he surrendered his body to the cross so that you and I might come to know him. Let's worship him this morning together. Our great king, the Lord Jesus, king of the ages.